If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. It's the 18th of December. We're recording this on uh, Sunday before Christmas, and I'm proud to say that about an hour ago, I actually ordered your Christmas present. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, My method has developed over the years because I tend to want to give you the present as soon as it's in the house. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm waiting until the last minute to order. That way, hopefully, as long as there's not a delay in the mail, uh, your present will show up and I can hold off for a day or two before I give it to you. I can't imagine why that would be a problem for you. That seems silly. Says the woman who makes me open everything she gets for me the day she gets it. Yeah, that's me. I hope you like it, though. I do. You had a painting created based on a painting we saw at a hotel in Washington, D.C. on our honeymoon. I liked it. It was very abstract, so I took a picture of it with my phone, and I used it as my wallpaper for a while on my on my phone. You commissioned somebody to recreate it, and it's beautiful. Yeah, I actually reached out to the hotel first, and I was like, hey, do you happen to know if you have the same art in your rooms as you did in 2015? If so, can I speak with someone about it? Blah, 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 blah. And nobody got back to me. It's been months. I'm a little <laughs> irritated. Uh, so I just commissioned this uh, to be done by a, a local Bangor artist. Hillary Gozi, and she's done things for us before, and I love her art. So, uh, and she was like, "Yeah, I can do that," and I was like, "Yes!" So I, now I have this beautiful piece of art, and no Christmas present, nothing under the tree. <laughs> I can't. I'm the worst. I'm so sorry. It's so thoughtful, and you spend some time clearly on having it made, and and I appreciate all of that. I can tell by the way you have it leaning up against your laundry basket. Well, it makes me happy to see it first thing when I wake up in the morning, and hopefully I can carry some of that happiness with me to Christmas morning when I have nothing. Shut up. So we've learned a lot, haven't we, (laughs) from studying and sequencing human DNA? Nice segue. And one of the things that we have learned is that within our modern day human DNA, 
are traces of DNA from some of our long extinct cousins, like the Neanderthal. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this in the past, but not just Neanderthal. Recent studies show that there is much, much more to the story. And that in some populations of modern day humans, there is a mysterious unknown chunk of DNA that researchers are calling ghost DNA. Ooh. In November of 2013, DNA, DNA was uh, from one of the oldest human fossils ever found was recovered by scientists. The bone samples date back more than 400,000 years. Specifically tested was a thigh bone recovered from a cave in Spain. These bones that they found in this cave were remarkably well preserved for something that that old because of the um, relatively secluded area that the cave was found in, plus high humidity. Got it. Now, these bones discovered in Spain were linked to Neanderthal, but they also point to a lesser known distant area ancient human population that came from what we now call Siberia, that particular area of the globe. This group is known as the Denisovans, and we don't know much about them, mostly because we've not been able to completely sequence the DNA since we really haven't found many uh, fossils of them. They have like the left finger of a female or something like that, and they've only been able to um, get enough DNA to recognize that it's a completely distinct branch of our human ancestry. Researchers involved in the analysis of this ancient DNA say that it shows an unexpected link between modern humans and our extinct cousins. At first, the analysis suggested that the owner of this leg bone that they found in Spain was closely related to the Neanderthals. But when they conducted a mitochondrial DNA test, they determined that this person whose leg bone this belonged to was far more similar to the Denisovans. The Denisovans are thought to have come from the Neanderthal line, but split nearly 640,000 years ago. Wow. They've also discovered that within the Denisovan genome, there is 1% of their DNA that they call super archaic human. This comes from another mysterious relative that we know absolutely nothing about. We see the traces in the DNA, but we don't know anything about it. I feel like you're just copying my T-Rex story, but with humans. It's been estimated that humans Wandering around the globe today could hold about 15% of these super archaic gene regions. Really? Yes. And it's well established that you get different genome sequences from different populations of the human race in different parts of the world. Right. But recently, some very unusual DNA was found in uh, some relics in West Africa. And in this case, it's not associated with either the Neanderthals or the Denisovans. It comes from a source that is of, well, a yet-to-be-identified group. Since they don't have a clear identity of who's, who's responsible for contributing this DNA, they use the term ghost DNA. The DNA does not seem to be related closely any way to any of the groups from which our known genome sequences come from. It looks as though this uh, interbreeding may have happened about 50,000 years ago, 
Researchers note that the ghost DNA seems to appear fairly frequently and that it gives us a pretty good idea that this archaic population had some DNA that did have a useful purpose because it was kept in our genome. And since it's still readable in today's modern DNA sequencing, that suggests that it still does have some useful purpose. We don't know what that purpose is. Huh. Now, of course, scientists want to know if the genetic material is just randomly floating about all nimbly-bimbly in our genome, or does it have, in fact, a kind of adaptive benefit? And who's responsible for inserting this uh, ghost DNA into our genome? And the short answer, of course, is we, we don't know for sure. One contender could be Homo erectus. Uh, oh, they lived about a million years ago, but we can't definitively say one way or another if it is because Homo erectus DNA has never been uh, found. Oh, really? I'm guessing because the uh, the fossils are just too old for them to extract any usable DNA from. That's really interesting because the ghost DNA is extractable. Yes, but from samples that are not as far back. Sure. I'm just... Yeah. It's, it's, it's all from pretty far back is it all is. I'm saying. Then there are other theorists. Oh, jeez. Who have some intriguing ideas. I bet they do. Could it be? Oh, man. <laughs> they claim that the 97% of the so-called non-decoding sequences in human DNA are, in fact, a genetic blueprint of extraterrestrial life forms. They suggest that the existing DNA evidence that we do have supports the idea that human DNA was engineered for a purpose by an advanced extraterrestrial race. Mm -hmm. And mainstream science has not disproved that. They say, quote, that those super archaic ancestors that uh, have left imprints in our DNA could be evidence of not natural but artificial evolution. So is it extraterrestrial? Or is it simply an unknown human species? We can't rule either out, at least not with our current level of knowledge and scientific technologies. But I, uh, I will say this, aliens are real. <laughs> no. How, do, <laughs> how did I know that was coming? One thing that we do know for certain is that regardless of the source of the ghost DNA, it is mysterious. And as of now, uncoded secrets still exist in all of us. And have for millions of years. Absolutely. I think it's just, it's our nature to want to have an answer. And if we don't have the answer because we haven't uncovered it or because we don't have the mm -hmm. specimens we need in order to do that kind of research, we just find an answer. It's got to be aliens. It's got to be aliens. My source information came from mysteriesunsolved.com, Wikipedia, and National Public Broadcasting. One of the Christmas cards that I signed the other night was from Cat, I Have Questions, Walls, and JG, Could It Be Toth? <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating to me to think that DNA... When you compare it to like a computer program, there are so many similarities. It's like we're biological computers. And because of that, in our source code, 
if we can figure out a way to read it more comprehensively, the better we get at it, the more advanced our genetic technology becomes. I'm excited to know what else we're going to learn because clearly we've only scratched the surface. There was something else I was going to say too and I forget. Oh yeah, aliens are real. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're probably just batteries for the machines. See, that's what I say. <laughs> I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. So you've got all your holiday shopping done. Everything's wrapped and put in the mail. Now all you have to do is hope that it gets there in time. We'll take some comfort in this. 
Residents of the Galapagos Island of Florinia have a very unusual mail system. It's a barrel on a dock. You just throw your mail in, totally disorganized, and tourists are responsible for sorting through the mail and grabbing any parcels they can deliver on their way to wherever they're going. Cassie sent us an email, and I'm excited about this because uh, she also sent a, uh, an audio file. She's telling us a little bit of a story. She says she's a semi-new binge listener and first-time caller. <laughs> um, full disclosure is that it's taken her 17 years to figure out how to attach this file. Hey, the most beautiful freaky couple I've ever heard of. I, I kind of have to open up a box for our freaky nation. I really need some support right now. I need y'all to tell me that I'm not the only one that makes the what you got for me jingle apply to your everyday life subconsciously and out loud because I literally just made an ass out of myself about five minutes ago. I had to pee really bad. Like really bad. I mean it was like bad. I've been holding it for a long time. And I'm standing there and I'm like, I got to pee. I really got to pee. Cassie's got to pee. I got to pee. And then I'm like, oh shit. Like y'all don't Y'all don't listen to Vox Oddities? Oh, yeah, I just did that. <laughs> I love that story. It's precious. Cassie says, I was once lost, but now I'm freak found. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Cool. Chantal commented on the Instagram post for our new episode, Dragons, Toilets, and Ballpoint Pens. <laughs> This photo is what I was looking for. I'm trying to paint something for a special needs class at work that reflects their divergent needs and personalities while all requiring the same simple essential needs, like plants. And Chantal, that's my photo. I took it in Spain. I will send it to you without all the words and letters on top of it. So, in fact, all of the photos that I use for the new episode posts are pictures that I've taken from out and about. So if you see one and you like it, just let me know and I'll take the stupid letters off of it and I'll give it to you. Here at the Box of Oddities, we're full service like that. <laughs> Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well... I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives 
that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. We put the hoe in holidays. This is The Box of Oddities. Ada Blackjack Johnson was born in a remote settlement of Spruce Creek, which is a settlement north of the Arctic Circle near the gold rush town of Nome and eight miles from Solomon, Alaska in 1898. Wow. After her father died when Ada was eight, she was raised by missionaries who taught her to read English and sew. At the age of 16, she married Jack Blackjack, a local dog musher, and together they had three children, two of whom died very young, leaving only one son, Bennett. In 1921, when Bennett was five, Jack deserted the two of them on Seward Peninsula. Ada walked 40 miles back to Nome, carrying Bennett most of the way. She then divorced that a-hole. <laughs> Bennett was not well. He suffered from tuberculosis. Ada was a skilled tailor and she cleaned houses, but she knew she didn't have the resources as a single mother to be able to properly care for him. So she placed Bennett in a local orphanage, swearing that she would come back for him. Now, the Nome police chief, E.R. Jordan, was familiar with Ada's situation. And when he heard that there was a group of explorers recruiting Inuit to go with them on their Arctic expedition, he told her about it. The expedition, organized by the charismatic Arctic explorer Wilhammer Stephenson. I like how you say that. Thank you. He was a Manitoba-born Arctic explorer, and he touted the region as the friendly Arctic. That's a marketing it was something. Now, he wasn't going. Stephenson remained behind to fundraise for another exploration, but he was sending a team in a speculative attempt to claim Wrangell Island for Canada or the British Empire, unclear at this point. Different articles say different things. The explorers, though, were handpicked by Stephenson based on their previous experience and academic credentials, and they were recruiting those from the region to join them. One of the positions they were looking to fill was for an Alaskan native seamstress who spoke English. That's a very specific skill set. Yeah, and Ada fit the bill. When it came to depart from Nome, though, any other Inupet who had expressed interest decided against it, leaving Ada Blackjack as the team's only Inupet member. The group ended up being comprised of five settlers, one European-Canadian, three European-Americans, and one Inupet. Blackjack. She didn't want to go, but they were paying $50 a month. And that was way more than she could make it otherwise. And she was determined to get her son back. Plus, she was assured that they would hire more Inuit during a stop in Siberia, which she was pleased with because she did not love the idea of being the only woman with four dudes. Out in the middle of uh, remote wilderness. Exactly. So September 9, 1921 rolls around and Blackjack boarded the Silver Wave with Alan Crawford, who was 20, Lorne Knight, 28, Fred Moorer, 28, and Milton Gale, who was 19, plus the ship's cat, Victoria. Wrangell Island sits north of the Siberian coast on the harsh Arctic waters of the East Siberian and Chukchi Seas. It's classified as having a severe polar climate because just a regular polar climate isn't enough. <laughs> Extreme polar climate. <laughs> Summer see warmer weather with around freezing temperatures. 
The long winters there see frequent snowstorms with wind speeds up to 140 kilometers an hour, about 87 miles per hour. Yikes. With high temps still in the negs. It's the last known place where woolly mammoths survived, and it has the highest concentration of polar bear dens in the world. She cold, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> the idea was for the Inupit to provide essential hunting and survival skills for the Arctic, skills that Ada did not have because the Methodist missionaries who raised her taught her housekeeping, sewing, and cooking white people food rather than the survival skills a native Alaskan normally might have grown up with. And she had a deep-rooted fear of polar bears. I feel you, sister. <laughs> on September 15, 1921, the team was left on Wrangell Island. They did briefly stop in Siberia, but failed to hire any Inuit reinforcements for Ada. When they arrived, Ada was despondent. She didn't want to be there. She was told she would not be the only Inupet, and she was frightened. She knew none of the men particularly wanted her there either. They didn't like the idea of traveling with a lone woman. She knew they regretted taking her, and she was convinced that one of them was going to kill her. This turned into a vicious cycle. The more despondent she became, the more sporadic her cooking and sewing became, and the more the men's behavior worsened, and so on and so on. Sporadic cooking and sewing. That's going to be the title. Just, oh, all right. Yeah. The men mocked her. Knight refused to use her name, only calling her the woman. And then they tried controlling her by denying her food, forcing her to stay outside. What? Even at one point tying her to a flagpole. They even threatened to whip her. But as winter moved in, she threw herself into her work and the five fell into a routine. Stay fed, don't get eaten by polar bears. As they endured two months of frigid temps and darkness, they looked forward to summer and the arrival of a relief ship. The ship would bring supplies for the team and they would stay up to another year on the island. Finally, summer came. Think of the relief of temperatures warming up to around freezing. And the team was upbeat. Soon supplies and other humans would arrive. But unbeknownst to the party, the icy barrier around the island remained. And the teddy bear, the ship chartered to bring them supplies, had been forced to turn back due to impenetrable ice. The team's supplies were quickly dwindling. The men tried hunting, but the boat that they had, they had purchased before the voyage, had been lost on the journey. It was washed overboard during a storm. So they experimented with traps and sustained themselves on sporadic catches of fox, fish, birds, and seals. The reality, though, was that the party was starving, and night was becoming extremely ill with scurvy. At the time, they didn't know what it was, but it wasn't good. Scurvy is a real bummer. Now back to warmer climates, Wilhelmer, the organizer of this lovely jaunt, went broke, and he tried to appeal to the Canadian government for funds to support a relief mission. But citing another failed Arctic adventure Wilhelmer had organized that left 11 guys dead, they declined. Oh my God. So in January 1923, with temps plummeting to minus 50 degrees, Crawford, Moore, and Gale set out across the sea towards Siberia. In a beautiful pea green boat? No, it was all ice, so they just walked. Okay. They intended to raise the alarm and arrange rescue. They expected the journey to take 60 to 70 days, and so they set out. 
leaving Ada behind to care for Knight. By this time, Knight was so weakened that he couldn't keep his journal anymore, so Ada started to mark down the day's events. Some were about hunting. I'm going to the other side of the harbor to do some duck hunting, she wrote in one entry. And some were more about the emotional state of the pair. He never stop and think how much it is hard for a woman to take four man's place, to woodwork, to hunt for something to eat for him, and to do waiting on his bed and take the shayad out for him. The shayad meaning his shit. I would think that that's probably, uh, yeah, I figured that out. You did, okay, Mm -hmm. I got it, cool. All the while, Ada is becoming sick herself with scurvy. And Knight berated her constantly. He accused her of not doing enough to keep them fed and alive, even though she's doing everything. He can't even write in his journal. He's dying. It's not her fault. But of course, he doesn't know why he's dying. And he wouldn't call her her name in the first place. He's got a bad attitude and scurvy. (laughs) It's not a good situation. So on June 23rd, Knight died. Ada did not have the strength or the emotional capacity to remove him from his sleeping bag, so she erected a barricade of wooden boxes around him to protect him from wild animals, and she moved into the storage tent, I would assume to escape the smell, and not have to, like, sleep with... A dead, frozen guy. Yeah. It was just Blackjack and Victoria at this point. Ada drove driftwood into the ground to bolster the walls and the ceiling of the tent she was staying in. She built a cupboard out of boxes, which she placed at the entrance, and she stored her field glasses and her ammunition. She also built a gun rack above her bed. She even built a platform above her tent so she could spot if polar bears were venturing too close to the tent. Sounds like she's, she's got it figured out. She's a beast. Months went by. Mm. She learned how to set traps to lure white foxes. She taught herself to shoot birds. I must stay alive, Ada wrote in her journal. I will live. She crafted a skin boat from driftwood and stretched canvas and even experimented with the photography equipment that the team brought, taking pictures of herself standing outside of camp. Meanwhile, in Nome... On August 2nd, 1923, a ship called the Donaldson had set sail. It was led by Wilhelmer's colleague, Harold Noyce. Noyce. They were headed for a rescue mission. And when they arrived at Wrangell Island, August 19, Captain Harold feared the worst. It seemed to us that no human being could find a foothold, let alone a living in such a desolate place. And it was a day scootling around the island before they spotted her tent. So on August 20th, Ada heard a noise coming from outside the tent. She heard it again and again. She grabbed her field glasses and rushed outside. The fog that was constantly covering the island lifted briefly, and through her glasses she saw a ship. It had been almost two years since landing on the island and two months living alone. Ada expected Crawford, Moorer, and Gale to be on board this ship, and those on the ship expected to see them on the island. Right. But those three were never seen again. They just disappeared. Just disappeared. Ada's return to Nome in August of 1923 caused a sensation in the news. The international press called her the female Robinson Caruso, Mm. though there was a bit of a smear campaign against her and lots of nasty rumors about how she just let Knight die. Well, she didn't need him. 
She could have done that. That's true. She shied away from the attention, insisting that she was simply a mother who had needed to get home to her son. She was reunited with Bennett, and she paid for his tuberculosis treatment at a Seattle hospital with her payment from the expedition, though it was not as much as she was promised. How much did she get? I don't know, but I know that it wasn't the total amount she was promised. And I know it wasn't enough. Except for her expedition salary and a few hundred dollars that she earned from furs that she had trapped while on the island, she didn't benefit from her ordeal, and she didn't make any money from books that were written about her. Wilhammer had promised her a share of the royalties from his book, which was based partly on her diary entries, but did not follow through. Either way, Ada was moving on with her life. She later remarried and had another son named Billy. Billy Blackjack is the baddest ass name I have ever heard. After moving to Nome with her sons in 1937, she did earn a living herding reindeer, hunting, and trapping. These were all skills that she learned while living on the island, not skills that she had before getting to the island. Bennett never fully recovered from his illness, though, and died from a stroke at the age of 58 in 1972. Ada also developed tuberculosis and passed away at the age of 85 in 1983. She was staying in a Palmer, Alaska nursing home and she was buried by Bennett's side. Now for years, Billy had campaigned for formal recognition by the state of Alaska for his mother's bravery in the Arctic, determined that her name not be forgotten. And especially to counter some of that smear campaign that had worked against Mm. her. He wanted to be sure that like so many Inuit people who were hired to assist Arctic voyages and rarely credited for the crucial roles that they played, she was not forgotten. It was not until a month after her death that the Alaska State Legislature formally honored her as a true and courageous hero. On Ada Blackjack's grave is a plaque erected by Billy with the words, the heroine of Wrangell Island. Billy Blackjack, what a great name though. Oh. <laughs> No, it's true. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Here is a woman who um, really overcame so many odds and had no help whatsoever. If anything, she had people working against her. Mm-hmm. And yet she was able to survive and actually the only one in that party that made it out alive. An absolute beast. I got my information from History.com, Al Jazeera, and Atlas Obscura. I'm going to change my name to Billy Blackjack. I've decided. I don't blame you. Yeah. One thing that I could not find was if Victoria survived the entire trek and if Ada brought her back to Nome with her, because Mm. that would be my cat forever. (laughs) Well, you're my cat forever. Aw, gross. We love you guys. We hope that your holiday season is going swimmingly. We got our Christmas cards mailed. That was pretty cool. I feel really good about it. Also, I got a little drunk while I was filling some of them out, so (laughs) I apologize if you're one of the people who got a drawing. Yeah. (laughs) There are several interesting drawings on the cards that we sent out to our patrons this year. Happy holidays. We'll see you all next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, 
That is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts